0: .NET Rocks, episode 1003, with guests Nick Molnar and Anthony Vanderhorn. Recorded Thursday, June 5th, 2014. Thank you very much. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. It's Carl and Richard, back at NDC. And uh, we're recording a lot of shows. It seems like we're here for weeks and months and months because <laughs> of uh, we're getting a lot of shows out of it. But uh, uh, it's, it's fun, too, right? Yeah. Just, uh, the, the downside is you
1: don't get to see many sessions. That's but true. it's sort of like we create a session here uh, for the listeners yeah all day well, long we create a
0: spectacle that's for sure Yes, yeah,
1: well we are in a fishbowl right yeah. we're in the people aquarium here it's like a little Carl and Richard zoo but in my, in my mind it's like we're doing a disservice if we don't get a chance to talk to as many people as we can uh, while absolutely
0: we're here. so let's roll the music and uh, I have something off topic but um, probably valuable to a few people out there so
1: hit me with your crazy music white boy
0: alright
2: alright buddy
0: what do you got well, um, recently went looking for the cheapest good audio interface that I could find for a computer. Oh, interesting. That doesn't require Firewire. Right. Yeah. That also has ASIO capability, which is very low latency um, uh, multi channel input. That's, right? And that's tricky with USB. And Firewire is getting hard to find. Firewire now. is getting very hard to find. Yeah. So, USB is in USB 2. Right? right, USB 3. Yeah. So there actually is one out there. And there's a company that makes sort of low-end, cheap stuff. begins with B, and it's a German name. And I don't recommend this company just because some, so much of their stuff that I've owned has blown up and fried on me. Right. Uh, the, the cheap parts or something, uh, not good stuff. Right. So I don't recommend it. However, Tascam has a audio interface that uses USB It has 8 XLR inputs, phantom power, preamps. Basically, you connect it with USB 2, and then you've got this beautiful audio interface. And so it's the US 1800. If you go to tinyurl.com slash 8x8 audio, 8 times 8 audio, 8 ins, 8 outs. Um, This is great. Uh, $280. Nice. Very, very cheap price point for that kind of power. And, of course, because it's ASIO, you can add more units. Right. And more units them. and more units. And, and you can working. just keep stacking
1: I got them. that my, my Motu Traveler 3, which is ASIO and USB. It's also FireWire. You have both. Right. Um, but it's expensive. Yes, It's an expensive toy. It was like, like eight, nine hundred uh, dollars. Yeah, it was a so thousand dollar piece. Yeah, but boy, it works like a charm. But right. for that kind of money at Auto, this is right. amazing to get down to those price points.
0: Yes, and I have one, and I bought one, and I tested yeah. it out, and it works great. Mm. You know, and it's rack mountable. It's rack mountable, and uh, ASIO <laughs> is great for low latency. So if you're doing any kind of recording, or you know, you want good quality preamps, or you know. Good stuff. Eight, eight eight inputs eight inputs yeah that's a lot it says 16 inputs but you know uh um, there'll be eight lines and eight eight lines S- XLR and eight phantom. XlR exactly okay with phantom power so 280 bucks love
1: it good. Who's talking to us, my friend? Hey, I grabbed a comment off of show 966, and that's the one we did with Nicholas Blumhart. We were talking about structured logging. Mm-hmm. I thought it sort of tied to our whole conversation Dave, about uh, web monitoring. Yeah. Uh, and, and especially this comment. Listen to this. Uh, this is Sean Inns who says, hey, this was a great show. As fate would have it, I was listening to this episode on my way to work today. When I got to work, there was a production problem to deal with. I just read about Saralog, which was Nicholas' product. Yeah. A few weeks ago and had had a chance or needed to download it and try it out. The idea of capturing some structured data logs from a web service and be able to process them later offline was very enticing. Mm-hmm. So I added a reference to the Serilog NuGet package, and no more than 10 minutes later was capturing rich logs containing POCOs, plain old com objects. CLR objects. Yeah. The CLR objects, and uh, nicely formatted byte arrays. I could have achieved the same result with NLog, but that would have mean writing a bunch of serializers or property-based queries. With Serilog, I didn't have to bother myself with all that boilerplate code. Yeah. Concentrate on the issue at hand. What I really appreciate about Shaw's comment here is we love the code. Like playing with the toy was fun, Mm. but he actually had a production problem to solve. And so he did the quickest path to getting what he needed to be able to get there. Sure, he could have done it a codeier way. He did the least code way so he could stay focused on the goal. You gotta love a logging, a structured logging product like that. Yeah, that actually manages all that stuff for you, and yeah. and plus tolerant to change. That's what I really got from Nicholas's thing. We don't think much of logging at the beginning, but then your app gets important, and now well, you, you know, do a when does a log it. become a database? That's, <laughs> you know, it's like? <laughs> there was a few comments, and actually, I've read them before. As soon as you need it, you around know. the SQL Server stuff, right. right? It's really interesting. Yeah, funny. So Shaw, thanks so much for your comment. .Net Rocks mug is on its way to you, and if you'd like a .Net Rocks mug. Just write a comment on the website at dotnetrocks.com or in any of our mobile apps. We've got them for iOS, Android, Windows Phone 7 and 8, and Windows 8. And those apps are built by Diatom Enterprises.
0: Love to build you an app. Just go to DiatomEnterprises.com. And that brings us to our guest today. Nick Molnar is a New Yorker, a Microsoft MVP. It's funny you had to come all the way to Norway to meet me when you're two hours away, right? right. Uh, he's a Microsoft MVP, an ASP insider, and co-founder of Glimpse, an open source diagnostics and debugging tool. Originally from Homestead, Florida, Nick specializes in web development, web APIs, and community management. In his spare time, Nick can be found cooking up a storm in the kitchen, hanging with his wife, speaking at conferences, and working on other open source projects. And who should wander in today but Anthony Vanderhoorn. Anthony Vanderhoorn is a co-founder of Glimpse and a regular speaker on such topics as open source, web practices, and diagnostics for the web. Anthony specializes in web and front-end development with technologies such as JavaScript, CSS, and HTML. He's bounced between living and working in New York City and his hometown of Brisbane, Australia. He's back in the U.S. at the moment. Anthony previously worked in the financial services sector. As most people previously worked in the financial services (laughs) sector, developing high frequency trading systems. And in his spare time, he can be found out and about taking photos, speaking at conferences, and working on other open source projects. Welcome, guys. Thanks for having us. Thank you for having us.
1: We got the Glimpse Guys. We're back. We're back. We're back.
2: With a vengeance.
1: Well, the the original show we did was back on the tablet show, which was now rolled into Don Iran. So, you know. You're all mainstream now All right. web development is development. Moving it? on up. There you and go. And so is mobile development. Yeah, Mobile true. development is development. Turns out it's just development. It's just development. Yeah. How is Glimpse view- doing? Are you guys busy? I mean, I love the relationship you have with Redgate and everything that happens there. You know, kudos to those guys for, yep. for making sure that Glimpse grows.
2: Where are we at? Glimpse is, is going really well. Uh, Microsoft continues to keep us on our toes as they release new framework after new framework. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So we've been focusing on Owen and Katana and making sure we have support for that. Uh, that's not released yet, but that will be coming out in our V2, which we're hoping to have a CTP out for very soon. Uh, and
0: before we go on, uh, we like to say Owen and Katana when, you know, leave it at that, but there are probably people who don't know what Owen and Katana are. So, you know, maybe we should just say that. Um, it's just a way to do what ASP.NET does without IIS and without ASP.NET.
2: Yeah, exactly. It's a, I like to think of it as an, as an abstraction layer between the web server and the web framework.
0: Yes. So right. swap the two out. Yeah.
2: Um, so that's been keeping us on our toes. And then ASP.NET vNext, which they announced at TechEd, mm-hmm. we've also been working on to make sure that we'll support when that comes out. And that's built on the same fundamental ideas that Owen and Katana are. So it's not too much of a stretch for us.
0: And by the way, if Nick doesn't sound like Nick, he's kind of got to call these guys Box of Ricola in front of him. <laughs> exactly. <here. laughs> if you sound like
2: you called the wrong hotline.
3: <laughs> <laughs> you got me. Awesome. Um, that yeah. also that support will also give us uh, like Nancy FX, yeah. which oh, is really? another framework. Yeah. Uh and those guys have been working closely with us to um, have their stuff up and running hopefully by the time by the time we drop v- uh, CTP. Yeah. They'll be there right with us as well fantastic great what? product and i gotta think Thank all the announcements much. around aspv
1: next and the, oh, yeah. the new development models that they talked about it build and so forth like
3: for us as developers we gotta be super excited for you guys as library owners like oh man yeah it, it's funny you know when they dropped uh, project k like guitar, uh, the new stuff coming out right um it was like wow we've got a lot of work to do mm-hmm. <laughs> here comes here it comes <laughs> And so it's like, okay, let's get CTP out as quickly as possible. And then let's start getting uh, some cool stuff up and running. But we actually did some cool prototypes, uh, with, with the ASP.net team around trying to visualize different components, uh, of the new pipeline. So the new pipeline has this concept of middleware, which is, uh, bits and pieces that you can drop in that run at like the beginning, beginning and end of right. each request. Uh, kind of like a little bit of a replacement to HTTP modules uh, Mm -hmm. if you've done that in uh, classic ASP.NET and um, so we can actually visualize in, in like a, a graph, as it were, mm-hmm. that actual process, that chain of responsibility going down and then coming back out. Nice. And so there's some pretty cool stuff that we can start to do with uh, the new frameworks, which is pretty cool.
0: For those who um, are new to Glimpse, and we know it's an open source framework, uh, mm-hmm. we know it's a web instrumentation tool and diagnostics platform, tell us you know, what we can... You know, how, how people use it and for what purpose and how easy it is. Just yes. give us the pitch real quick.
3: So we kind of call it the diagnostics platform for the web. So the idea is you just, you know, Nougat install the Glimpse packages for whatever you're using, whether it be uh, MVC, you know, 3 for, 3, five or yeah. web forms, whatever. And uh, from then on, uh, you can go to the Glimpse.xd page, turn Glimpse on, and when you go back to your page, you'll have this... Uh, little bar that runs across the bottom of your page that gives you all the most important information that you care about hmm. so the total request time you just how long, turn it on yeah you just turn it on and you start getting all of this information the power out. of nuget yeah power yeah. of nuget and uh, it'll even tell you you know the um total number of SQL requests that you had how long that took all just in this little bar that follows you as you're navigating around the website from then on, you can even just mouse over one of those sections, and it'll give you like kind of like the next step down of information, so you can even see like the actions that occurred and the views and if there was any SQL statements mixed in with all of that. Now, is that only for my session or is for that, that for so, everything? So, this happens on a request-by-request request basis. Okay. So, once you've turned Glimpse on for your session or for your, your uh, debugging process, right. um, you'll get that for every request that you do. Um, but then once you – if you want to drill down even further, you can open up Glimpse in its full capacity, which will open up kind of like a, a bar or like a box that runs across the bottom of your page. Kind of think like the F12 tools, like right. – uh, Uh, you know, a Firebug or, you know, the Chrome developer tools where it's got different tabs that'll show you different things like how the route resolution happened for this page of its MVC or, you know, how the model binding happened or, you know, all these different bits and pieces that you might care about. Gives you a glimpse into what's going on. You got it you go. It's all very
2: visual. The best way to probably understand it if you haven't seen it yet is head over to our website, getglimpse.com, and right at the top we'll have a quick two-minute video that kind of runs through the whole thing uh, don't stop driving, get to work.
1: <laughs> uh, but then
2: after that, <laughs> get Glimpse.com.
1: And then, yeah, the links are in the show notes, of course. And, yeah.
0: and so what about if we want to see what's going on in the whole site, not just one particular uh, you know, one particular session? Yeah, can we so do that?
2: With Glimpse, we've decided to, at least for now, focus on the request-by-request request diagnostics. Okay. Because so that's
0: really what you want to know. You want to see the, the pipeline of, of what's happening Right per now. request exactly yeah
2: now we have uh, we kind of I like to think of it as like a channel changer. There's a way that you can go in and select a, a request that's happened in the past oh, neat. or a request that somebody else has made. So neat. Carl, you could profile Richard's browsing session and see where Richard is running into. And issues. I would do that. You, you that kind of guy, <laughs> a, little, I am. a little stalkery. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen you guys around conferences. Yeah, that's right. I just go look at all the shows that I'm on. <laughs> <laughs> but it's interesting you ask that, Carl, because more and more we're hearing requests from our users saying, how do I aggregate this data? Yeah, how yeah. do I see what things look like over time? People want dashboards. They is want what they dashboards, mean. yeah. And, so it, it's and they that's want
0: something. it on their mobile device, you know?
2: Yes, exactly. So these are all things that we're thinking about for probably not 2.0, but shortly thereafter. How mm-hmm. can we bring the data where our users want to see it in all of their places, in all the places. So that's a
3: little bit of a preview of that, we've talked about like the Glimpse AXD page, which at the moment has just got a couple of big buttons that allow you to turn Glimpse on and off. Right. Um, you know, what if it could show you the server level information? Aggregate level. Information. Yeah, aggregate level. But Glimpse is even sensitive to where the requests are coming from. So in a web farm scenario, we could detect that, hey, in the last hour, for instance, or day, you've uh, had requests come from five different servers. And we could show you those five different servers as five different tabs, but then you might have a config section within each of those servers that shows you the config settings for each server, which you could go in. But then it's got a differ that shows you if there's any differences across those five servers. Which, just to be clear, there shouldn't be any. There shouldn't be any differences. (laughs) But when there is, man, it sucks. sucks. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's the sort of stuff we can start doing. Uh, let alone getting into performance information, just that alone, that debugging power is pretty awesome. Yeah. That's really uh, and so look stuff. to see that's part of, part of where we could go in the future.
0: Now, is there any kind of uh, built in uh, smarts and analytics that you could just turn on and, and alerts that would just say, Hey, this doesn't look good. You should pay attention to that.
2: Yeah. Yeah, so we have some of that already. Like, we'll notice anti-patterns yep. in your SQL query. So, like, if you get into, this is very easy to do with any framework. If you get into, like, an N plus one mm. query, right, where you, you get some data back from the database, and then in a loop, you go over every record, and you go back to the database yeah, to get yeah, more, yeah. or you're lazy loading something. We'll identify those things, and we put a little exclamation mark warning. We say, hey, this is an N plus one here. Or yeah. if you're doing some weird things with transactions, we can warn you about that. Nice. That's for slow for .NET. Right? <laughs> like, yeah.
1: These are bad. Because yeah. That's what Y-slow Yeah. way yes, back when, right. you know, Souders is like, yep. this is a bad behavior. This will yep. get you. Yep. So yeah, I love that. Catch the, those kinds of things. So the
2: anti-patterns are really easy to recognize. Other things around saying like, hey, this page took five seconds to render. Well, maybe that's good. Maybe that's bad for your app. Right. Mm-hmm. So what we're trying to think about is one day we would have some kind of a rules engine or something where you could say, well, for my app, I want the median request time to be X. And if your median goes over that, we could notify you, Hey, this last release really slowed things down or something. Right. We're not there yet, but these are the kinds of things that we could back users to that dashboard yeah. and right. be
1: able to say, go take a baseline. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Yep. And then be able to compare against the baseline on a regular basis. And
3: That's part awesome. of what's cool is that. Typically, as a developer, and I know I used to do this all the time, as I'm navigating around the site to get to where where you know I'm currently working, right. a page might go really slow. And I'm like, that page was slow. And then I'll refresh it. And it's like, it's fast. And it's like, uh, don't worry, move on. Whereas with <laughs> right. Glimpse, because it's collecting that information, I can actually figure out was that actually so or was it my imagination? And I'll right. say, yeah, no, that took four seconds. And I can actually dive in and see what caused it to be that. And it might mm. just be that a cache was populating, right. no worries. Right. But it could be like an N plus one that someone in your team introduced. Right. Okay, so it's you know a hundred queries of execute against the database on that well, request. Well, and, and and same thing. And then you know why the second one was faster. Because, exactly. Oh, now, the, now the browser cache did
1: do its job. Yeah. And,
3: so it can help answer those questions, which are very hard to answer at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah it's it's really right.
1: All right, I want to jump over to uh, the, the broader topic here, which is that whole story of end-to-end instrumentation. I mean glimpse is clearly a tool meant for devs to understand their apps as they actually are, you know now you get into the the bigger story of you know disassembling the overall thing. I've used a lot of different tools over the years to to understand n-tier apps, not even just web apps right I don't want to just narrow this down. but anytime you have multiple machines involved in fulfilling a transaction, Filling a particular uh, uh, story point, uh, figuring out who's killing you, and taking the time—that's hard. And for a long time, expensive stuff. You know, I got nothing bad to say about the guys from Map Dynamics. I think they're wonderful. That is not a cheap product. It is not an easy sell to the boss off the bat. To just say, hey, if we got this, we can figure out how to make things go faster.
2: Which is a little sad because case study after case study from Amazon to Google to uh, Etsy say yeah. that their bottom line is affected by performance. A yep. 100 yeah. milliseconds is 1% change in Amazon's revenue, sure. which is kind of crazy. And That's even, big. If, even if you're not e-commerce, right? Like I know a lot of the listeners aren't running e-commerce websites. If you're public at all the faster your site is, the higher up you move in the Google page index. They reward people that are fast. Yeah. And usually fast means efficient, which means less battery drain, less usage of the CPU. If you're doing a mobile app and you're not thinking about that, you are literally killing hours from your users. Yeah. And I've done ROI
1: studies on internal applications as well, where it's like, hey, 10,000 people need to use this app to, to do their hours. If we can shave Five minutes off it, it's this many thousand dollars. Like, there's no reason internal apps can't be fast, too. Exactly. And, they and have it's, a benefit. it's
3: interesting because there's also trust. I've seen studies where they've actually looked into not just the revenue return. But like how, what, what people think of your sure. site when you, come confidence levels. Yeah, confidence levels. And so, and the amount of trust that they associate, if you go somewhere and it's fast and it's responsive, your enjoyment of it and your trust of it instantly goes up as opposed to hey, every page is taking like seconds to load. Right. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I don't they know. Exactly?
1: Yeah,
0: yeah, right.
3: What are doing exactly?
0: What are you doing? It immediately becomes nefarious.
3: Yeah. They're well, you
1: know, it's the something. same
0: kind of thing when you ask somebody a question and there's a pause and then they wait. And then they mm-hmm. slowly turn their head to you and then they say, what? <laughs> you know, and you're going to not ask them a question again. But exactly. if something, you, you know, they got an answer right for you, hey, I'm going to come back and ask them again. And they know what they're exactly. talking about
2: Yeah. Yeah. One of the challenges, I think, is that particularly for devs to talk to their managers, right? It's, if you can go back against ROI, which is sometimes difficult to do. Yeah. Then usually you can make a case. But there's so many metrics around performance, right? Particularly in web, right? There's number of HTTP requests, how many bytes are downloaded, how long something takes to render on the server, how long it takes to render on the client. And you could have umpteen different numbers and you're trying to pick, well, if we affect, if we, if we improve this one, what does that do for us? Right. So something I'm really excited about, uh, recently is there's a new metric, which I kind of feel like is the metric, the one number we can rally behind right Uh, now. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) And it's, it's called speed index. Oh, interesting. And so Speed Index, I only know of one way to measure it right now. and It's right. at webpagetest.org, um, which is a free resource that's uh, it's open source, and it's got lots of companies contributing like yeah. AOL and Yahoo and Google. We,
1: we used to be a sponsor of WebPagetest at uh, Strange Loop. Oh. Rad, Radware's now owns the company, and they've gone a different way, but yeah, way back when. I didn't realize yeah. that. That's awesome. Yeah, we mm-hmm. love them.
2: Well, let me just explain for the listeners what Speed Index is. Um, if you go to webpagetest.org, you can type in any URL. And you can pick a server from anywhere around the world so you can see how this thing works with different uh, amounts of latency. And they have all different browsers that you can render a page in. And essentially what they do is they pull up the browser that you selected and they load your page twice. Once on a clean cache and the second time on a primed cache. And the entire time that they're loading the page in that browser... They take screenshots of it every couple hundred milliseconds. And so what you get is a film strip view. Imagine like old style negatives from like analog cameras, right? Yeah. And you can see what your page looked like at 200 milliseconds, 500 milliseconds, 700 milliseconds. That's cool. And how it's rendered. And they overlay that on top of the HTTP waterfall chart. So you can see all of a sudden, boom, this big image came in because you see where it downloaded in the chart and how you can affect things. Now, the, the speed index number, they boil this down to one number because what they look at is the percentage of the page that is at its complete rendering state. Mm-hmm. And so um, if, you, if you go to webpagetest.org, the documentation covers the whole algorithm for how they do this. But essentially, the faster you can get most of the final bits to the screen, the better it's going to be. Right. And the reason I feel like this is a metric we can all use is because it's not counting HTTP requests. It's mm-hmm. not counting number of bytes. All of those things get baked down into this one metric, and it's perceived performance. Yes. So even if you make your website slower, but your speed index goes up, do you care? No, because the user is still getting to the content that they needed faster. This is one of the things
1: we played with with Ajax for a long time, was this get to the page load event quickly. You know, get the structure of the page loaded, and let pieces drop in. Yeah. So that... And two parts that I feel from that. One is it feels good to the user. They see something right away. And if they don't actually need the whole page, if
2: the piece that's got the button that they care about is on it, they can get on with it. Exactly. Exactly. And what's really interesting is people have kind of gamed some of their metrics. Sure. Because they'll make onload happen very quickly. But there's actually nothing on the page yet. Um, What I like about Speed Index is the reason why they're taking these screen captures is because they're looking at visual differences. Right. It doesn't matter when onload happened. Actually it fires. mattered when mm-hmm. your page has not changed for like three seconds or something like yeah. that. Is the algorithm of Meaningful these. rendering. Exactly. Well
1: and then you also capture things like, you know, get the Google Analytics code out of the flipping header, right? Oh. He exactly. Post event. Like all of those things that are can be asynchronous, yeah. but people yeah. just don't do it.
2: Yeah. The number of best practices that have already been published yeah. that people just don't know about mm-hmm. always amazes me. I, I just came off the stage from doing a talk that I call Full Stack Web Performance, mm-hmm. which will be online on the NDC site uh, soon enough. Um, the number of people that I show these tips to, and they are amazed! I'm getting huge applauses because they've never seen this stuff. But Sodder's published his two books years, years ago, years, years ago. Um, but that's okay because it takes a little while for things to trickle down.
1: Yeah. And I think just keeping on shining a light on it, like he's
2: moved on to the next set of problems and, and people still haven't really looked at the original set of problems. Exactly. I also kind of feel like there was this big movement in our industry. I know you guys talked about it a lot where mm-hmm. UX really started to matter. Yeah. Right When yeah. WPF was coming out, we were really starting to think of UX. I think we're at a point now where the next step on top of usability performance right and to me the two shouldn't be separated no because if you have a really usable app that's slow i'll never use it
1: well and is it actually usable you exactly that's yes. mm-hmm. sort of a myth exactly that's mm-hmm. why the two no. go
2: together to me so on my machine i have photoshop installed and i have paint.net installed right and 90 of the time oh, 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 what oh, a great
1: contrast oh, <laughs> yeah
2: 90 of the time all i want to do is crop an image yep. same here crop I and resize ne- i never open photoshop yeah it is far more usable and it's far more feature packed. Oh no,
1: it's a but it's performance. It's right. that uh Swiss Army knife that's like six feet wide, right? So exactly. It's the giant knife it does it can do everything, exactly. but you have to do a lot of it just to do anything.
0: I use the old Paint Shop Pro. It's the same thing. It yeah. re- it loads really so fast, because yeah. it's built for XP. MS Paint it. for me.
2: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that works just fine for cropping. Yeah, yeah,
0: sure. It's
2: just, just simple tools. So there's a, there's a guy named Aaron Walter who's big in the UX uh, community. He's the the director of UX at MailChimp in, okay. in Philadelphia. Oh, yeah. And so uh, you guys have seen Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? It's yeah. the pyramid, and we have to have security before we can worry about uh, self-esteem and yeah. things like that, right? And we flourish when we get to the top of the pyramid. He's uh, proposed the same pyramid for users of software applications, which I find really interesting. So the first thing is it has to be functional. It needs to solve a problem. The next thing is uh, it has to be reliable. It has to solve the problem the same way over and over again. Mm-hmm. Uh, I never used Twitter when the fail whale was my friend every other day because it wasn't reliable. <laughs> yeah. Uh, next is usable, right? And I think that the industry in general, we're not all there, but it's something that we've talked about. We've climbed the mountain up that far. Um, I add in performant next, because like I said, I think performance and reusability go hand in hand. And then lastly, he talks about pleasurable. And that's really where, um, that's where his bread and butter is. But little things that we see on sites that we love, like github.com showing a, a Jedi Octocat, right? That's showing some character and making us love the product a little bit more. And it's a pleasurable thing to use. So I think that that pyramid is really interesting to prioritize the things that we're focusing on our app. I Mm -hmm. don't need a, a performant app if it fails every time right, right. Use it. Sure. So When we
1: talk about getting at so that delight the stage, there's uh, no point in delight if it takes half an hour for it to load. Right? Exactly. Don't, don't worry about that. Exactly. Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. You know what time it is? Uh, it must be that happy time again.
0: Yep. Time to climb the pyramid of needs, flourish pleasurably, and clean up after myself. Nice. <laughs> nice.
1: <laughs> Relevance? <laughs> How topical! <laughs> full nice segue there. Thanks. There you go.
0: The guy can write a joke in five seconds. There you go. <laughs> Skills. <laughs> no, it's time to give away a telerik DevCraft complete collection to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But before I tell you who today's winner is, supercharge your .NET productivity with telerik DevCraft. This bundle includes over 420 UI controls for all .NET technologies, including ASP.NET Ajax. MVC, and WPF. Plus, you'll also receive Kendo UI, HTML5, JavaScript framework, productivity, reporting, and debugging tools. Telerik DevCraft comes with three upgrades per year, and Telerik's industry-leading support. Download your free 30-day trial today at Telerik.com slash DNR-DevCraft. All right, buddy, who's our winner? Today's winner is Jonathan Baltz.
1: Congratulations, Jonathan.
0: (laughs) woo he just won the Telerik DevCraft Complete Collection, and uh, if you don't know what we're talking about, go to dotnetrocks.com. click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. Every show, we give away great stuff like Telerik's DevCraft Complete, and every December, we give away $5,000 worth of technology to one lucky member of the .netrocks fan club. Guys, if you had five grand to spend right now on technology, what would you buy?
2: Nick? Man, I knew this question was coming. You knew. So last time we were on the show, you guys were still doing this thing. And I geeked out on uh kitchen gear. That's right. Yeah, so I, remember. I wanted a uh um a vacuum chamber sealer. Yep. And mm-hmm. a circulation immersion pump. Yep, exactly. <laughs> so I think I'm gonna stay on that theme, because that's where my heart and my stomach lie. Do you have a sous vide already? I do. I do. Really? I have the polyscience okay. uh, professional grade one. My oh, wife got nice. it for me as a very nice Christmas gift. fancy. A lot of counter space, though. Uh, yeah, yeah, but you know what? In New York, I can just move that to my table and still use my stove and my oven. It gives me a third heat source in the kitchen. So I have been helps.
1: using my sous vide, my stick. I have the Nomiku in the basement because I have a huge sink down there. Mm. So I've been doing, uh, I've actually been uh, heating up briskets to finish them as corned beef oh great which you've got to get them to about 190 degrees It takes 14-15 hours yeah. you can't have that in the kitchen your no. wife will not tolerate it. you'll melt yeah.
3: left, I left it in the basement just let it run and when you have a New York City apartment it's a bit difficult to There's put no in the basement <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, alright so anyway I'm
2: going to stick with the same theme Okay. and I'm going to go with a big green egg uh, Richard has been waxing poetic about this thing a million awesome. times. I looked them up recently yep. because uh, this is the first time I've told him this. I was going to get Anthony a big green egg as his uh, wedding gift. Oh. First, first no all. way.
1: I oh, was. choice. Wow. Oh. Yeah. Uh,
2: <laughs> so thanks, man. I said, you're a good friend, but not that good big of a friend. friend. <laughs> <We'll>, I can <laughs> talk so to you about some alternatives. For those
0: who don't know, the big green egg is a grill, and it's a smoker. Yeah. And it's a, a it's like a tandoori, a Yeah, it's a, it's a, yes. char, it's
1: a charcoal grill made of ceramic so you can get extremely hot just I, don't drop it yeah and it will shatter if you drop it ask me how i know uh and i and for five grand i mean they're, they're expensive they're not five grand but you could get that and then the other thing i do is go get the um the uh, grill cute controller yeah so mm. now you hook a fan to the lower vent with temperature sensors inside. Totally geek out I on would it. Totally get the version that has the web server on it, so that you can actually feed Excel spreadsheets <laughs> and for I the could performance temperature optimize profile. It. Yeah, I don't know who would use such a thing. It's the strangest thing. <laughs> who would spreadsheet smoking meat? That's who, the, who, who would do, would that? do that? You, are you sure? guys are
3: stealing my what I was going to pick <laughs> next. Oh, no. I was actually going to say last time I was on the show, I was talking about smart things and yeah. home automation and stuff. And uh, I since then got the Nest at home and it's Love like, it. oh my God, this this is the way we should be doing things. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I was I, I was actually going to say, you know, one of the things I want to get into uh, once I get outside of Manhattan is like smoking. And we've been talking about this sure. at, at various conferences and learning that art and that craft. Mm-hmm. And I, I really part of what uh, i really like is that geek out aspect you know have 10 thermometers in there all reporting you know phone whatever device i happen to be walking past you know all that sort of stuff yeah temperature profiling and meat
0: i get a an anti-pattern of that kind of thing story for you yeah so our sub-zero fridge or we have a viking sub-zero fridge that came with the house that we bought a couple years ago it's 15 year old fridge finally died Okay. Now these Viking fridges are so expensive to replace. The plastic drawers to replace the plastic drawers inside would have cost a grand. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So when it died, it was like forget it. Yeah. There's no way. (laughs) Yeah. So we ordered a new fridge, and uh, this great Samsung fridge came. You know, from Best Buy or whatever. uh, They they installed it. So it has this Wi-Fi feature. Now it has a front panel that shows you the current temperature and you can set the temperature of the freezer in the, in the fridge. And it also has this power freeze mode that drops the temperature very quickly by 10 degrees and a power fridge mode that does the same. So if you put something hot in there, you can push Uh, it on, put it on power freeze or power Turbo turbo mode. It'll drop the temperature quickly and then slowly bring it back up. Right? So, so it has a Wi-Fi feature. So I'm like, very cool. So I connect it and I get the app and, you know, I get it on my phone. And uh, then, then I find out the, the funny thing about this Wi-Fi feature. Guess what it is? It only works with local Wi-Fi, oh,
2: not wow.
0: over the Internet. How are you going to tell if
2: your refrigerator is cold when you're on the road? So,
0: <laughs> yes. So, first of all, it's very decadent in the first place to have something on your phone that tells you the temperature of the fridge, which you can read on the panel. Second of all, it only... Allows you to not get your fat ass up off the couch <laughs> to go look at the panel.
2: Man, we that have some first world stuff. problems here. That, that is, is such, very first world. That is,
0: so, that is
3: such Does a- it at least send you notifications when so if you're in home and someone opens the fridge?
0: Well, no, but the fridge has an alarm on it that if okay. the door stays open for more than, you know, whatever, it's a beep and you can audibly hear it's it. It's pretty good. I house. could imagine
3: if, if you see someone going to the fridge, you drop it by, you know, how uh, many yeah, degrees and they get like a cold blast. No, no but there is a
0: trap door underneath so I can, you know, press a button on my phone and the trap Boop, door will open.
1: Go. At least you got that. <laughs> and in the remote control thing, I have done when I've been traveling too much like I'm doing right now. Been chatting with my wife when she's down in the office and then i've been able to go into the house and turn on favorite songs for her or our songs oh, that is in nice. the office while oh, we're talking romantic
2: very romantic It's just a song just appears you get applause for that there you go <laughs> just like that <laughs> <laughs> everybody loves <laughs> the romantic side of <laughs> there uh, you go i yeah. love
0: the middle of the show yeah content free since 93 a little
1: bit of geek it out have some fun <laughs> Uh, we got a bunch of barbecue fans in the room right now. We could, we, that could be the rest of the show. goes true. way off the rails. And I feel like we're just getting into understanding the sort of end-to-end part of getting to the web stack. Like Especially for developers. As soon as you start talking about instrumentation, you talk about putting bytes on servers. And then the operations guys show up and go, nope, not happening. Like, wh- wh- what do you do? How do you tackle this? Are there, are there workarounds? or Can you avoid deploying software?
2: So I, I kind of have an attack plan for how I like to think about performance. Okay. Um, there's six points to it. We don't need to cover all of them. But the, the very first one is measure. Right. Measure everything. Mm. Right. Because um, if we can't measure, we can't prove that we've made things faster. Right. And these things are, are often very subtle. Yeah. Uh, the next thing is, and I, I, I was a consultant for years before I went full-time open source my customers would come to me all the time and say, the application is too slow. Right. And I think there's a fundamental flaw in that. Applications are not slow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Scenarios through an application are too sure, slow. the sure. login process is too slow, or the purchasing path is too slow. Right. And so I think when we're in these situations where our boss or our manager isn't really into something, we need to quantify it more. We need to measure right. using whatever the proper tool is. And there's unfortunately, there's many. There's not a Swiss Army knife yet. Mm, yep. Um, maybe that's a good thing. Hmm. Um we have to measure a scenario and then improve on that scenario. And the right. psychology behind it is, if you can't improve the speed of that scenario by twenty percent mm-hmm. or better, your users won't notice it. Yeah. So uh. you need to know when to cut your losses.
1: But they say the, the threshold of perception is two percent, but I would think the threshold of meaning, like it's a relevant improvement, is twenty. Exactly. Exactly.
2: So, uh, so I, I think those are the things that to to go after. You know, and, and measuring is a uh, trickier art than it seems. Right. Like sure. We need to have. Um, Environmental neutrality, which means like when you do your apples to apples comparison, it really needs to be apples to apples using the same hardware. And the harder part is getting the same software environment, right? Sure. So you gotta talk about having the caches the cleared the exact same way or primed the exact same way. Right. And people who are really into this go all the way down to like figuring out ways to clear the cache on their CPUs and GPUs. Right? Because if if you care about it at that level, you need to go down that far. But um little things like antivirus software might be scanning when you do the second run through and that'll throw it off there's a cron job running you know all of these things you need to kind of like figure out so when you do the measurements between a and b you can see a real comparison
1: yeah pretty consistently my experience has always been test labs are faster than production because test labs are cleaner exactly right Mm -hmm. production machines have stuff on them exactly it's it's inevitable
2: i think the the same data sets and all all, everything
3: I think the cloud introduces some interesting scenarios there, too, where you can very easily and cheaply spin up other machines as well.
1: Well, everything's
3: virtualized. You can do
1: that in-house. It's just I don't think we're
3: as discipline in our in-house mm.
1: infrastructures to be able to do yeah. that yeah. than we are in the cloud. The cloud doesn't give you any choice. Yeah. You better be in a can because you and you better have templates and defined configurations because mm-hmm. that's all the only way you can communicate with them. So exactly. it's like they force you to make good choices. Yeah. Relatively few organizations I've found where we've got to that level internally. Yeah. Where everything is templated. It's like you want another one of those? Here's another one of those.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Only only the big cutting edge
1: organizations I'm hearing doing things like yeah. that. You can do it in fairly small infrastructure, but it's a lot of discipline and unfortunately expensive tools yeah yeah it's the it's the maturity of the discipline the price yeah but you know my where microsoft's doing a good job on this stuff is in operate in system center uh virtual machine manager and operations manager and they're thousands of dollars yeah. and it's just for the small shop it's not an option yeah. and so just trying to find a way for us to assemble those bits in a more reasonable <laughs> price point so you can get at least some of those
2: benefits right yeah
1: and you know, SQL profile is not a bad tool, but it takes time to learn how to use it, and to tie it into an overall stack of understanding what's going on, you know, off your SQL profile uh, off of your your .NET profiler too. So exactly. Here's the method call. Which query was that exactly?
2: Yeah. Mm. And you know what's interesting? Another part of my attack plan, I recommend approaching. Your performance problem in descending granularity mm-hmm. and most of the time when you're looking at a web application specifically this is a blanket statement right so results may vary but if you're looking already at the cpu cycles on your web server and the data queries you've already missed the biggest chunk of of optimization available sure. which is usually the network yep reducing the http request the amount of bytes that you send out on the wire round trips 90% of the time is where most of the performance uh, benefits. And they're probably going to get
3: you eighty percent of the performance gains. Sure, mm. exactly. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. So the yield curve is actually really interesting with performance, and I'm sure you've seen this before, Richard Roy. Right? The easiest things to do, the right. things that take the least amount of domain knowledge, the least amount of technical expertise. Right, things like reducing HTTP requests and turning on compression in a config file are easy, will get you the biggest gains. Sure. And when you're really digging down into the internals of SQL Server to really understand how to optimize this query, right. you better have done all those easier things first. Yeah, you're because you're getting you a will, tiny little You will get gains, but you're getting smaller gains. Yeah. And so the more complex the solution, usually the less of the gain. Yeah. And so you have to figure out um, where the, point, the tipping
1: point is. Well, then I also think there's a tendency for developers to go stare at code. Yes. Make this page isn't fast enough. What's your reflex? Open up the code window of the page yeah. and stare at it till blood comes out of your forehead, right?
2: <laughs> and at conferences, especially conferences like this, right, that come from a .NET background, Sure. I find developers are very comfortable with C Sharp and that's where they want to yeah. be. Right. And with a web app, right, we know that there's two parts. There's getting the app to the user. That's the server-side processing. That's the database calls. And that's the network. But then there's also using the application. And with SPAS single-page applications, this is becoming really, really important. And I think that we still kind of turn a blind eye to JavaScript because it's difficult. Yeah. But I'll tell you what, the browser vendors are really kicking butt here. The Chrome team, the IE team, the Firefox team, their F12 tools have great profilers in them now. Yes. So you can see what's happening in the JavaScript. And the reality is, maybe it's just my applications, but most of the time the JavaScript isn't the bottleneck, but it's the fact that you're reading and writing from the DOM. Yep. So you see all of this best practices to avoid the DOM, which I think is stupid. The reason why I'm writing JavaScript in the browser anyway is to read and write from the DOM. That's the point of it. I, I, I mean, I'm not doing very complex um, things in the browser with JavaScript. But when you use JavaScript, the reason why it feels slow is because you touch the DOM and that has a ripple effect that affects the rendering engine of the yeah. browser. And until recently, we've had no visibility of the rendering engine. But now Firefox and Chrome are are starting to expose tools that allow you to see what's happening in the rendering. So the simplest thing you can do is open up the Chrome uh, developer tools and turn on continuous paint mode. What that does is that forces the rendering engine to pump pixels to the screen as fast as it can over and over and over again. So wherever you're at on your page... And it's a
1: slower way to do rendering, but you see a lot more.
2: Well, what it does is it puts a little widget in the top right-hand corner of your page that shows you how long it takes to paint every single frame. Interesting. Which, which is really interesting. So the magic number that you want to be hitting between your JavaScript and the ripple effect rendering is 16 milliseconds or less. Wow. That number comes from our monitors, because most of our monitors run at 60 hertz. Right. right? So 60 refreshes a second, 1,000 milliseconds divided by 60... That's where we get to about 16 milliseconds. Right. And so if you run some JavaScript and affect the DOM, and it's going to take more than 16 milliseconds, the rendering engine has to drop a frame. Has to, yeah. Yeah, it has to drop a frame or two frames or three frames. So if you're looking at a piece of JavaScript that's taking a second to run, think about how many frames you've just dropped. Right. Um, and so I'm thinking 60 that's exactly. <laughs> well, hey, that's convenient math. Um, and so you know frame rates is never something I thought about before. That's sure. like I'm not a gamer. You know, yeah, know. why would think it I care? About, yeah, but it's really important particularly when you start thinking about a touch device and I put my finger on my phone and I scroll and the page doesn't stick to my finger. Cuz it, yeah, it twitches. It's playing follow the leader, right? My that's finger is right. at the top of my phone and then my the page yep. follows oh, no, so after oh, oh, Exactly. You missed it again. Exactly. <laughs> Well, you see that and scrolling. You'll scroll through a, 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 a site on your desktop, and it's just so sluggish. That's because the rendering engine just cannot keep up with you what know, you, you were doing. You, and
1: you've made a great callback here to our original conversation at you know, the top of the show about giving people confidence. You right. want to upset a mobile user in a hurry? Don't make the touch work. Yeah. Right. Have, the, have they go to click on something that moves away from them because you're still oh, rendering? Oh, man, that is They're so frustrating. instantly angry. Right? So frustrating. Because now they say, well, i got to wait for this page to render. And while I'm waiting, I'm going to think negative
0: thoughts about you. Yeah. yeah. So I guess you know the next step is okay. Now that we know it's slow, how do we unslow it? You know, I mean, yeah. and and that's where I was, you know, getting at some of those great uh, suggestions that you guys can go ahead and make. Sure. You know.
2: So I think the important thing is to recognize what part you're trying to optimize. Right. The network has different best practices. They're very well documented. Read mm. Sauter's books. Yep. On the server side .NET, there's plenty of literature out there about how to do that, and you'll use a CPU profiler or a memory profiler to find those things and identify them. So there's common things on the server side, right? Like for web apps, stay in process. Yep. The number one problem is querying out to some database or to some calling to uh, another service, some service, something like that. Right? Yep. Get that data one time, leave the process if you have to, and then cache it locally. Yep. Bring it in process. That's the the biggest thing. Yeah. Um, iterate less. I right. talk to the engineers that work on Redgate's um, Ants Performance Profiler, and they'll give me scenarios all the time that they see from our customer's code where the customer will have some method that gets called 100 times. Right. I'll keep with easy math again. Yeah. It's called 100 <laughs> times. And so they're like, hmm, I think I can shave 10 milliseconds off of that method. And so they're going and trying to do a micro-optimization. But that method's being called in a loop. Right. So if instead of shaving off 100 milliseconds from that method, they just reduced the collection by 20 yeah. items and did some filtering, that's huge savings, right? right? So loop, loop and less. And easier code. And much easier code. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so looping less. The other thing I see a lot of devs do is they don't, they, they'll read a file from the disk or something like that, but they won't stream it in. They'll read the whole thing. yeah, yeah And that yeah. just thrashes your memory space. Locked. Uh, and, that, and that's going to kill you in IIS. Um, so things like that. And then there's little things, right? Like string concatenation, when to use that versus string builder. Mm-hmm. Rule of thumb, if you're doing more than three, string builder. Yeah. yeah. So, um, But
1: those are, you know, rarely have I found that the computation of the page on the server side is where you're spending your time. Yeah, You know, that, that's exactly. exactly. That's rarely the problem. Yep, sending granularity. And, it, and we tend to go there until you get to scaling problems. Mm-hmm. Right? This thing is plenty fast when there's one user. When there's 10,000, it slows down. And the piece that's
3: slower is the server side computation. Exactly. Uh, I think a part that helps there is like, are you using the new async and await as well? Yeah. Particularly wherever you're doing any disk access or anything like that. If you're using async and await, particularly, probably won't be that much perceivable difference to the individual user. Right. But in terms of load that you mentioned and scale, you'll start seeing a difference there. Yeah.
0: We don't usually think of the client as being anywhere where we can optimize performance, but as yeah. on the client side, is there There's a lot a of stuff?
2: There's a ton. So the JavaScript profilers that are built in to all the main browsers are really good. I particularly like the new IE11 one because what I find most of the time, I'm not writing that much raw JavaScript. I do, but I use jQuery or some library a lot of the time. So, so when you look at a profiler filled with this library that's not your code, it just pollutes yeah. the entire call stack, right? right? IE will recognize and you can tell it which things are libraries and it will trim them out. So yeah, you're only looking cool. at your user code nice. uh, to optimize. And you go in cool. there and optimize it. But is that always
1: the truth with these kinds of profiling works? Like, you spend most of your time trying to just get the chaff out. Exactly. And focus on what's important. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you
2: got to reduce the the noise from the signal. Sure. And for the rendering engine, Carl, this is the one that's really interesting. And this is really cutting edge, uh, stuff. The best practices are still kind of being formed. The best place to find out more is at jankfree.org. J-E-N-K? J-A-N-K. Okay. Jankfree.org. And, um, there, there's, Uh, My favorite thing to do is to turn on that continuous paint mode, and you'll see how long it takes to render the page. Mm. And then in Chrome, you can look at the DOM view, right, in the Chrome DevTools. You can select on any element and press the H key on your keyboard. That will hide that element. Mm. So when you hide an element, it no longer needs to be painted. And so as you start hiding elements on the page, see. you will see your rendering times go down. Yeah, that's right. So it's really nice because you can start to uh, bisect your DOM mm. and figure out which elements are really expensive. So mm-hmm. for example, in an app that I was trying to improve the performance on, I had these images that had both uh, corner radius, uh, via CSS turned on, and box shadow. Okay. Now, either one of those two properties on its own seems to be fine. But for some reason, when those two things are used on the same element, it adds about 20 milliseconds to the rendering time. On my particular There's a page.
0: frame. In, in all browsers?
2: Uh, well, in Chrome, is where oh, okay. I was testing this. right? And I know that the um, the Firefox rendering engine works very similar to the Chrome one. IE is still a little bl- black boxy. Here. Right. Um, hopefully their tools will, will come along in the, in the next rev. Um, but those are the kinds of things where you can just start tweaking and playing around with the page to see where you're really spending time. And the trick is, to move as much off the CPU and onto the GPU as possible. Right. And so there's really four properties that they call jank-free. Right. And these are things that the CPU does. And that is um, scaling something, resizing it, using right. the scale function of CSS. It's moving it um, using transform. It's rotating it. And it's fading it using opacity. If you're doing those four things and only those four things, you're going to be pushing everything to the GPU. And your rendering speed is going to be Lightning. blazing fast. Ah. And that's that's the goal, right? Jank free. That's sixty frames a second. Nice. Cool. Yeah. So if you have a designer who wants all of these things, it's so like in my application where I had the rounded corners and the shadows. Yep. The solution was to take all of those images, run them through Photoshop, round the corners, and put drop shadows on right. them. Right. So they're just part of the picture. So they're now. just a part of the picture now. And let the exactly. CSS do it. And so now I'm I'm not jank free. Yes, I had to do some extra work on pre-processing the images. Yep. But it was worth it for every other user who's sure. ever going to see that page. It's nice. just a great thought. And again, it's we are prone to staring at the code and
1: we could have solved the problem earlier on with a little bit of help. Exactly. Yeah. Really exactly. interesting thinking. So
2: it's fun. It's a yeah. lot of fun to be uh, in this space at this time.
0: What are you guys up to next?
2: Oh, I, I am traveling all over the place. Um, yeah, similar. I get to go home for a week or two and relax and take a vacation with my wife, get the disease out. <laughs> yeah. Get uh, the yeah. disease out. And then after that, uh, I will be at, uh, Code on the beach and uh, near Jacksonville, Florida, in the beginning of August, and immediately after that at that conference. Yes. Yeah. So please come out. I'll be talking about web performance there as well. So of course, I'd you love are. To see people in the audience <laughs> to come say hi. I'll have yeah. glimpse stickers to give out as well if anybody wants one. Nice. Uh, are you, Anthony? Similar
3: going to Code on the Beach, uh, so that will be a lot of fun talking about Glimpse there, um, and we're also trying to put together in July, I think, a tour of Scotland like nice. the Scotland user groups oh my yeah and so um, <laughs> I, I know, think we got but, inspired by some of the stuff you guys did oh
0: no so, I think we can use some whiskey chauffeurs. you know we're bad influence.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I think
0: we bad in, badly influenced this whole community
2: okay and fat and drunk and I'm barbecue s- and whiskey I know yeah. right. I certainly
1: have some suggestions for places you could go but yeah, yeah.
2: And Anthony s- is also being modest. He'll be going on his honeymoon yeah. very soon. Yeah. Oh, Congratulations. Congratulations. Thank you very Congrats. much. Oh, uh, two weeks ago. Shout had, out to him
3: and his wife. It was funny. I Nick went to a conference before this one, which was Technorama. And uh, I, that was last week. And I got married a week and a half ago. And I said to my wife, you know, there's this conference called Technorama. And she's like, yes, when is it? And um, <laughs> I was like, three days after the wedding. And she was like, hmm, Hmm. you can choose, you can make some choices here of which questions to even ask. And (laughs) there there are right (laughs) questions, there are right answers and (laughs) wrong ones. Nice. Welcome. Welcome to married life. (laughs) Yes. Um, Yes. And so, yeah, lots of fun. Congratulations, buddy. Congratulations.
0: And thanks, guys. It's a great product. We love it and keep doing it.
2: Thanks for having us on the show. It's really good to see you guys. very good.
0: And uh, we'll catch you next time, dear listener, on.NET Rocks.